Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Down the block, Andrew John. Inside for Elba. Elba will score. Elba will score. Newcastle and one. Welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. Today we're joined by former Rabbitoh, Panther, Magpie and Canterbury Bulldog and of course the current co-host of Rabbitoh's radio podcast, one of my good mates, Darren Brown, a champion of rugby league, a very underrated and skillful footballer himself. He's had an unreal career. He's obviously gone on to be part of the podcast game with the Rabbitohs radio podcast, doing sensational things with Chaps and Mavo as well. As I've said a few times, if you're a South Sydney fan or even if you're not, if you just enjoy your footy, if you listen to my podcast because you enjoy rugby league, go and have a listen to Rabbitohs radio, doing some fantastic things, telling a lot of fantastic stories from the 90s and even further back, sensational stories from some of the all-time greats of rugby league. Today we have part one of our interview with Brownie. We talk about the lead-up to his first-grade debut against the Cronulla Sharks and, of course, against the great Gavin Miller. Talk about before he made his first-grade debut, he had a pretty good day out on the trots one day, actually riding a winner himself. A pretty amazing story there that Darren tells. Obviously, his family, born on the streets of Redfern, they've always lived there. Father played for South Sydney as well, a very famous sporting family. Uh, The Browns have been very successful over a long period of time. So, Darren it was really just written in stone that he would eventually end up being a South Sydney Rabbitoh. Growing up on the streets of Redfern, as I said, Darren talks about how he was the first one at training every time and quite often uh, when the coach needed someone when he was down in reserve grade, first grade, there'd be an injury or someone wouldn't be there or something, they'd call Darren in and he jumped in and filled a vast array of roles in the first grade team when he wasn't really in the side. So it sort of built the versatility that Darren built his career around. Of course, a guy that played centre, back row, lock, 5'8", he could do it all. Darren. And today's podcast, we talk about his time at the South Sydney Rabbitohs, his first in of the Rabbitohs. He then went to play at the Canterbury Bulldogs. Now, before he left to go to the Bulldogs, of course, he was part of the 1989 South Sydney side, the one the minor premiership. Unfortunately, went out in straight sets, but one of the best South Sydney teams to never win.
win a premiership there. An unbelievable team that Darren talks about. He then unfortunately has to make the move to the Canterbury Bulldogs. Has a great time there. Obviously plays in 1991 with Ewan McGrady, who wins the Rothmans medal that year. An unbelievable season. Also plays alongside Terry Lamb, one of the greatest footballers we've ever seen. In my opinion, one of the most underrated guys to ever play our game. Of course, one of the greatest try scorers that our game has ever seen and regarded as probably the best support player of all time. And Darren tells a story where uh, he has to step in and wear the six jersey for Canterbury one day when Terry Lamb's out and he asks for a couple of tips. And Brownie's given a couple of tips from the great Terry Lamb about support play. Anyway, as history has it, Darren goes on to score three tries that day. An unreal story there. I'm going to hand it over to Brownie now. Stay tuned on Thursday morning. We're going to have part two of this podcast, which includes his time spent at the Magpies, his return to South Sydney, and then his time at the Penrith Panthers was legends like Brad Fittler and Greg Alexander. Some champion times there. And then in part two, we also have uh, some questions sent in by you guys. So really looking forward to that on Thursday morning. Going to hand you over to Brownie now for part one of our interview. run there. Darren so Brown. The front on. Beautiful work here from Darren Brown. He is a skillful player. A little kick over the top, catches it on the ball. There wasn't much room in behind the line. Brownie, welcome, mate. How are we? Yeah, not too bad, Nate. Uh, thanks for having us. Mate, obviously part of the podcast world as well. Uh, I remember just over a year ago, we were sitting at uh, a radio hub with, with Silky asking a million questions. Jeez, uh, it's changed a lot since then, hasn't it? It has, mate. Yeah, we're growing nicely. It's coming up to two years for Rabbitohs Radio on the 20th of July, so it's a two-year anniversary for us. But, uh, yeah, look, we come into the podcast world with no idea and we're starting to have some sort of idea, but still so much to learn, mate. Mate, I remember sitting there with you a year ago and, and you and Mavo saying, oh, we'd like to get more players on. Is there any players you haven't had on in the last year? Uh, we've been very fortunate to have some of the greats on from, from our wonderful club and a lot of them current players uh, do acknowledge our, our podcast and we've had pretty much all of them on. There's only a couple that we haven't touched base with and we will get to them over the you know the course of the year but some of the other former greats that we've had on has just been great. and um, You know, the Bob McCarthy, the Ron Coots, the Tugger Coleman. So they've all got a story to tell and it's just great content that we can provide for, you know, the Rabbitohs supporters, the stories that haven't been told, and it's all about connecting the Rabbitohs community. Mate, obviously you've spoken to a lot of the young guns coming through the system as well. Has there been one that's uh, stood out for you out of those younger guys for Rabbitohs fans to keep an eye on? Well, there has, mate, yeah. The young Lachlan Ilias, who, as everyone probably knows, we're going to be losing Adam Reynolds at the end of the year, and young Lachlan Ilias, uh, up-and-coming halfback uh, in the system. He's only playing in the jersey flag at the moment. But, you know, he's one of the, the kids that they're going to be relying on that's going to fill the shoes for Adam Reynolds when he leaves for the Broncos at the end of the year. Young Blake Taff is another one. So, look, we've got a good crop of young players coming through the system, uh, as we always have at the, the mighty South Sydney Rabbitohs. And, yeah, keep your eye on young Lachlan Ilias. He's managed by another former South Sydney junior himself in Brace and Asta. So, um, Brace steered him in the in the right direction and uh, Lachlan Ilias only re-signed just a couple of weeks ago. Mentioned the mighty South Sydney Rabbitohs and of course today the day we're recording, 20 years since uh, you won your battle for reinstatement, a pretty special day to look back on? 
players, mate, not only for the club, but more importantly for the fans. They were the ones who marched, you know, down to Town Hall uh, on that famous day. And look, it's just wonderful scenes um, back in the day. And yeah, it's just a special day for us today, uh, being reinstated 20 years ago. And, um, you know, some great times. And we've had success that day. And, uh, you know, we're looking to further improve that this year. So hopefully we can come up with a, another premiership uh, at the end of the year. Mate, obviously we'll get into your career in a second, but uh, you mentioned another premiership, of course. 2014 won the grand final. What are your memories from that night, mate? What, what, what did that evening mean to you? Oh, mate, it was uh, unbelievable. I was actually at the game. I uh, got some great photos after the game with Sam Burgess and, and Lottie Takiri, which was posted on, on our socials many a times. But just w- what an unbelievable feeling and uh, to be part of it and knowing that, you know, being an old player, we played some sort of role in, in that premiership win. Um, you know, I can go to my grave now a happy person because I hadn't seen a grand final uh, win from the Rabbitohs. I, the last one before that, I was only a young boy and probably wasn't old enough to even look at the TV. But, um, you know, just a, a great feeling and, and, you know, just wonderful scenes for the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Mate, uh, another question that I had sent in from some of my followers uh, was, of course, the 2002 Charity Shield, uh, the first game back for the South Sydney Rabbitohs, first official game anyway. Um, mate, I believe you ran the blue jersey that night. Yeah, I did, mate. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to be on the training staff. I'd just come back from the UK. I'd been back from the UK. I retired over there. I was playing for the South City Reds over there, and I came back and I was asked by Tugger if I wanted a job on the staff, and uh, you know, I, I took that on and, yeah, I was fortunate enough to run the blue shirt. And another, what another great, great day it was for the club, uh, that first game back being the Charity Shield. You know, Russell Crowe was there and um, I even think maybe Phil Gould might have run, uh, run the line on the sideline as a touch judge. But, yeah, it was great scenes. It was a full house. You know, everybody got behind the Rabbitohs and, like we said before, with the march, it, it wasn't only Rabbitohs supporters that was behind the, the South Sydney Rabbitohs. It was, you know, supporters from all clubs all around the world. But before we go to the start of your career, I want to go back to your childhood and obviously even before then, uh, your father played a lot of footy himself. Tell me about Les, mate. Yeah, look, we grew up in Redfern, right behind Redfern Overall in Great Buckingham Street. So rugby league was sort of like in our blood from a young age, especially me and, and my dad, who also played uh, with the Rabbitohs uh, in the lower grades. He, uh, he was a talented halfback who came through in that golden era in the late 60s, early 70s. But his career was cut short through a, a bad leg break at the old Sydney sports ground. But, you know, people tell me he was a very talented player and was unfortunate that he broke his leg because he probably would have went on to bigger and better things, um, you know, playing with that great club. Well, mate, he's definitely handed down that uh, that halfback skill set, obviously, to his son. And I remember watching Jaden play too. My God, it's just that that vision has just been carried through, hasn't it? Yeah, well, it's, it's always something that uh, back in the day, how the game was played, you know, you always played, uh, what do they call, eyes up footy. And, you know, we used to, I used to love having the ball in my hand, um, being a forward, 
one of them ball playing forwards. It was uh, it was always you know good times um, playing playing that type of footy back in the day. Mate, can I ask you if you were to put yourself into the modern game today, do you think you'd be playing in the back row? Would you be at lock? I know you played a lot of footy at five eight and out of the centres as well. Where would you like to play in the modern game? It obviously has changed so much. Well, well, it has, um, but ideally, I'd still like to be, you know, playing in the forwards, but still playing that that type of footy. And um, I don't think you see enough of it today. I know the some of the forwards today are, are playing like a, a link a link man, similar to what Cameron Murray does uh, with us Rabbitohs today. He, he gets into that first receiver role and and just shifts the ball straight away out to Adam Reynolds or Cody Walker where. They're getting the ball out out to the edges quicker and wider, um, but yeah, I, I don't think you see a lot of the uh, ball playing forwards in today's game. Uh, but yeah, I would probably still like to be in the forwards. I like the tough stuff back in the day. Uh, so yeah, you know, still playing at thirteen where I played a lot of my footy is where I'd like to be playing in today's game. Mate, when you were a teenager coming through, did you play mats, SG ball, the, the sort of rep level f- football then? Yeah, I did, mate. I came through the, the South Sydney junior system, the pathway system, like they call it now, and the Harold Maps and the S3 ball. We actually won the S3 ball uh, back in 1986, or 86, I think it was. And we had a pretty talented side back then as well. A lot of players went on to play at the top level. Graham Lyons, Scotty Wilson, Geordie Peets, uh, Marty Masella. They all went on to have long careers in the game of uh, the rugby league and you know I was very fortunate and um, I was I sort of like got called up at a young age to play in the under 23s back in the day the system back then was a little bit different to what it is now there was a competition in the under 23s before you played the New South Wales Cup and I was only 17 when I got called up to to come up and play in that grade and then uh you know, it was nurtured through the system and went on to make my debut at a young age of 19. You mentioned making your debut at 19. Before we get to that, I just want to take you back two years uh, to a Tuesday afternoon, Newbridge Boy. Tell us the story of this one. I think this one's a cracker. Yeah, well, uh, Newbridge Boy was a... Uh, I was involved with harness racing. My dad was a, a harness racing trainer back in the day and I was sort of like a young bloke helping him out, um, you know, throughout, throughout my career. And um, I was always, always loved the horses and got up before school and went and helped him and obviously went back after school. So I spent a lot of time in that arena and, yeah, I got my opportunity to, to drive in a race. And yeah, that, that day at Richmond, uh, my dad, for some reason, he, he couldn't go to the races that day. So I end up, taking the horse myself and, uh, yeah, preparing him and way thrill it was, mate. Uh, yeah, I led all the way, but the odds on favourites, uh, I was I was a big odds, 33 to 1, and yeah, it was just a, a special feeling to drive a winner. And I ended up having a, probably about 10 race drives uh, in the harness racing. And, yeah, it's a, it's a great sport, mate. It's, it's one that, um, you know, is a little bit different to the gallopers because, with the gallopers, the trainers, all you can do is train. Where the harness racing, you can do the whole lot. You can own the horse, you can train the horse, and you can also drive the horse. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it was a great thrill. 
to drive that winner. And, um, you know, I still watched the video today where I, I led all the way and, and kicked away halfway down the straight. Great Man. feeling. Mate, I've got very limited knowledge as far as harness racing goes, but I know that there's not many 33 to ones that lead the entire way. Quite often you see them lead part of it, then they drop off and you never see them again. It must have been an unreal experience coming down that straight at the end. I believe at Richmond there, there used to be a, a long straight there, three or 400 metres. It was, mate. Yeah, it was a grass track. And, um, yeah, the odds-on favourite who was uh, sitting outside me, I, I thought he would have run, run straight past me. But my horse, he, he used to... The conditions suited him. It was raining. Uh, he used to love the grass track. And, um, you know, being 33 to 1, we all thought, always thought he had some hope, even though he was big odds. And, uh, yeah, it was a great thrill, like you said, uh, to, especially when I, I kicked away halfway down the straight. I, I kicked about two lengths clear, and I, I knew I had the, the race one, you know, probably 100, 100 metres out. And as they do, you, you raise the whip in the air, <laughs> you probably see it these days with the jockeys when they go past the, the post when they ride a, a group one group one race. So I thought I was driving a, a group one winner when I was only at Richmond. <laughs> Mate, do, do you remember the phone call to Les or, or, or when you saw him next? He must have been in shock. Yeah, yeah well, he, he, I think he, he watched the race. I don't, I don't really remember. The, but I, what I do remember is I, I had two, I actually had two drives that day. I come, I come out in the next race. I had another drive in the next race, so you pretty much had to uh, bottle all your emotion up and, and get ready for the next race. And I actually hit the front in the next race, come around the turn, so it looked like I was going to drive a double. And I actually, uh, I, I probably, I got, I got fined for hitting that horse too many times in the straight. <laughs> so because <laughs> I thought I was, I was, I was on a good thing there to drive a double, but maybe he tied and run fourth. But I was pulled into the steward's room for excessive use of the whip. So I was just having a look. Uh, two years after that, obviously, you make your first grade debut. I believe it's against the Cronulla Sharks. Is that right? Yeah, that's right, mate. I was, uh, I was like I indicated before. I was only nineteen, and I made my debut in a in a pack that was uh, eighty nine. We actually won the minor premiership, so you know we had a pack full of internationals. Les Davidson was there. David Boyle. Uh, Mario Fennick, you know, the great Lindsay Johnson, Paul Roberts, Tugger Coleman was a halfback, Phil Blake. So we had a, a really good side. And I was very fortunate, the 19-year-old, to be coming through in that great side. And uh, back in the day when, you know, the the era of football was, it was a tough, tough game of footy. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to to play in, in that team uh, from a, from a young age. Mate, I've got to ask you, your debut against the Sharks, uh, you mentioned yourself being a bit of a ball-playing forward, and for me that day you came up against one of the best ball-playing forwards we've ever seen, Gavin Miller, and at the back end of his career, but probably at his peak realistically, uh, won the Daly M in 89, then went on to win the Daly M again in 89, uh, a forward to win it in back-to-back years. I mean, a forward to win it one year, incredibly impressive. To win it back-to-back years, unbelievable. Must have been a, a bit of a treat for you to play against Gavin Miller in your first game. Yeah, it was, mate. And what a player he was. I sent some highlights of Gavin Miller the other day somewhere. And just the way he used to run with the ball and he used to play with his socks down. Just a, a real old school rugby league player. And once he had the ball in his hands, always, you know, run with the ball within, you know, with the ball in two hands. Just a, a wonderful player. And like you said, he was at the back end of his career when I played against him. But 
yeah, it was probably one of them players that I might try to mould my game around, being a ball player myself. And it was one player that I always looked up to. Mate, you mentioned the star-studded South Sydney team, of course, won the minor premiership that year. I believe they went out in straight sets in the finals. But for you in your first year, did it sort of come across that first-grade football was a little bit easier than what you probably anticipated being in this star-studded side? Yeah, I wouldn't say it was easy because we really worked hard off the field, that that team. Uh, back in the day, it was a lot different to what it is today with, with the you know the training techniques. And I remember on a Monday after we'd play a Sunday game, there was no recovery. We'd be back on the training field getting flogged, you know, going over to Moore Park Hills, running the, the Moore Park Hills on a Monday after a game. It's unheard of these days. But, you know, the, we, we won a lot of our games through our fitness and our toughness. Um, but in terms of did it come easy? No, I don't think it did because I, from what I can remember, and um, it was a long time ago, I worked really hard training paddock uh, to, to get where I was and I was you know always every club that I went to I had a few clubs I was always one of the fittest players there so you know it's uh, it doesn't you know your ability only takes you so fast and, and you have to work really hard off the field and that's something that I did as a player and I suppose it uh, put me instead for a long career with uh, how hard I worked off the field. Brownie, what, was there a moment in those first few games where you sort of had that realisation that this is first grade, it was either someone putting a shot on you or someone that you maybe looked up to the last few years that you had to tackle? Was there a particular moment that was a real sort of eye-opener for you? Yeah, it's probably a number of, number of games there, but back in the day, the, the forwards had really hard packs. I remember the, the Bulldogs pack was full of internationals, Dave Gillespie, Joe Thomas, Peter Tunstall. I remember one game that I played. It was in one of them midweek games, and it was in the bush. I think it might have been Bathurst or one of them cold areas where I was sitting on the bench. And uh, once again, I was only a young bloke, had a handful of games, and I came on to uh, as a replacement late in the game. I was freezing. I was warm, trying to get warm, and I came on, and Peter Tunks just hit me and was you know knocked me flying and put me on my ass, so to speak, and. He just said, welcome to first grade, as they always do. And from then on, I just thought, you know, this game's tough and it's hard. And that I had no better pack to be playing with and, and teaching me the ropes than Les Davison, like I just said before, and, and David Boyle, who were, you know, hard men themselves. And coming into that side behind that pack, I, I always had uh, confidence that, you know, that they'd look after me. And, uh, you know, I... I took that in instead for the rest of my career. Just you know, play hard and hard and tough, and and you'll get through the games. Can you tell me about the first guy that coached you in first grade, George Priggins, obviously a South Sydney legend. Tell me about him, mate. Yeah, well, you know, George, George Priggins is South Sydney, and um, we wouldn't be here today, like you just said. It's, it's twenty years since we got reinstated today, and and the main reason we're here today is because of George Piggins and uh, he, he was an old in terms of his coaching ability he was an old school coach who you know we didn't have much of a game plan Tugger was probably the organising and really coached us um, around the park but I remember George we used to do ball work against George and he'd have his shoes off running as hard as he could against us and, and wanting us to tackle him as hard as we could so he was just one of them 
tough bastards who, uh, no frills footy player, but uh, in terms of South Sydney, mate, there, there'd be no South Sydney if it wasn't for George Piggins. Ask you, mate, when you first started career, if George Piggins said to you, what position do you play? What would you have said? Because obviously your first two years of footy, you play a range of positions from being in the halves, the back row, lock, you jump in at centre at times. What was your ideal position when you first came into first grade? Yeah, well, I like the forwards, but um, back in the day... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you had a little bit of skill, you could play 5'8", and I even played centers when, when I went to the Bulldogs. So, um, as long as I was in the side, mate, I didn't really care where I was playing. Uh, I played a, a little bit off the bench in my early days as well. So, you know, just uh, to be honest with you, as long as I was playing first grade, I got my opportunity playing first grade because I, I used to turn up, as I said before, I lived up the road in Great Buckingham Street, just right behind the Oval. And as a young bloke, I used to get to training early. Um, and the boys, the, the first grade would be doing ball work. And there'd be no one else around. It'd be just the first grade doing ball work. And if one of the players went down injured, or, you know, come off with, with a little bit of an injury and they had, had to go get treated. There was no one really there to fill in. So I was the only one there kicking the ball and George would yell out to me, Brownie, come here, just fill in for this bloke here and there. And, you know, I, I think I, George gave me an opportunity because I was keen and I was always at training early. So um, in terms of the position that I wanted to play, I just filled in anywhere and it didn't worry me where I played. Obviously, the South Sydney jersey, it's meant so much to you all your life. 1991, you have to make a move to the Canterbury Bulldogs. How did that come about? Yeah, um, look, back in the day, South, you know, we financially, they, they weren't in a, in a great position. And um, unfortunately, they we, we'd lost a lot of players leading after the 89 minor premiership. We, a lot of players went to different clubs and... Um, in 1991, it was my turn to move. Myself and my co-host, Steve Maven, we were in England at the time and uh, playing for a second division club over there, Trafford Borough. And, uh, that was back in the day when you know the, the two competitions were played at, at different times. In the off-season, you'd go over there and play a couple of games and then you'd come back and get ready for the season ahead here. And we're all over in the UK and we got the call from Chris Anderson um, to see if we were interested to, to go and play at the Dogs uh, as a package deal. And, uh, yeah, we both signed uh, from the UK to, to go and play with the, the Bulldogs in 91. Yeah, it was hard because we were both South Juniors, both Mavo and myself. And, yeah, you know, but in saying that, we we went to the Dogs and uh, another great club uh, run by the, the great Peter Moore back in the day. And, uh, you know, we had a great time there. And, Unfortunately, it didn't work out. We're back in uh, the, the mighty colours of the red and green uh, in 92. Can, can I ask you, mate, just before we come back to South Sydney, 91, you play uh, with Ewan McGrady, and 
for me, I think it's one of the more underrated seasons. He absolutely brained it that year. Just a just a once in a sort of generation guy when he was on. Just a a natural talented country boy who just loved his footy, Ewan. Uh a champion fellow and it was a great honour to, to play with Ewan. Uh he won the Rothman medal that year in, in nineteen ninety one. And just one of them naturally gifted indigenous players that just played what he's seen and had speed to burn and I was fortunate enough to, to play with Ewan and I uh, I played against the Roosters one day at Belmore Oval and and this is one of them days where I, I played uh, Terry Lamb pulled out in the week and I ended up playing 5-8 and I never really I'd played a little bit of 5-8 at the Rabbitohs but I never really knew the ins and outs of it and uh, especially you know filling in for the great Terry Lamb who was a the support, you know, just his whole game was based around support play, and he scored so many tries uh, that way. And uh, I got a few tips off him before the game, and I said, "Mate, you know, you know, what do you do so well? How, how can you score so many tries?" He said, "Mate, just go down the middle of the field." And anyway, I I, I did that. Ewan McGrady played halfback, and I ended up scoring three tries uh, that day uh, against the Roosters at Belmore Oval, and. I put, you know, a lot of them tries were set up by the great Ewan McGrady. Mate, it was one hell of a Terry Lamb impersonation. I was watching some of the highlights of it yesterday. You're literally just tracking up through the middle the entire time. Yeah, well, you know, when, when somebody like Terry Lamb gives you a bit of advice, you, you certainly got to listen. And uh, it's one thing listening, but uh, it's another thing to put it into action. And that's what I did. And you know, like I said, I, I worked hard on my game over many years. And um, if I took a, got a little bit of advice, I always try to put it into place, and and that's what I did. And I was fortunate enough to to come up and score three tries. Uh, you know, a feat that not many not many players get to do. And you know, it was uh, it was a great feeling. I actually, kicked a couple of goals that day too. And so I, I think I might have got the three WM points too. What so it was a great day had, <laughs> mate. Uh, a couple of weeks after that. You play against the South Sydney Rabbitohs for the first time playing against them. How, how was the emotion around that game for you? Yeah, it was, it was hard, um, and, but it was also it was also great because you always. I had the opportunity to do that a couple of times throughout my career. I, 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 we'll probably touch on it a little bit later. I went to Penrith as well, so you always get the chance to to go back and play against your old club, and you always give that little bit extra. And once again, I, I'm. From memory, I had a really good game uh, again, um, and you always, always lifted your performances on that game. And um, you know, it was just a game there where you, you give that extra ten percent, and uh, it was hard, hard to come up against a, a club that I've loved. And you know, I was a South Junior, so it was. Uh, but these days, mate, it's just one of them things, and um, you know, it was a great experience. I imagine also, mate, coming up against so many good mates. I know you're still very close with uh, with Tugger Craig Coleman. Uh, was, was there much chat going on during the game? Yeah, Tugger, he's probably one of the best verbalists I've ever played against and with. Uh, Tugger, he was he was good at his job, and he was uh, yeah he would he would have gave his players uh, plenty of opportunity to to rip it into me. But um, yeah, no, he's a good man, Tugger, and. We've had Tugger on the podcast many times. He gives us his time whenever we need him. And another, you know, uh, player that just bled for the, the red and green. He, he, he's one of them players that had 
one red eye and one green eye, mate, and uh, still to this day he supports the club. Mate, I've seen him walking that dog around. Good God, it does some yards. He's always been fit, Tugger, and that's a, like I said uh, just before, that was an area of our game that we always prided ourselves on, and that was our fitness. And Tugger was always doing uh, training, you know, uh, his extra extra training. Uh, did a lot of swimming back in the day, and and still to today, he's quite fit. And his wife Debbie, uh, Tara, and Liam, they're 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 a, they're a family that just love their fitness and. Uh, you know, it probably took him a long way throughout his career as well. Obviously, 1992, you get the opportunity to return to Redfern um, only after being away for a year. How did this come about? That wraps up part one of our interview with Darren Brown. Obviously, part two drops on Thursday morning, as we mentioned. Stay tuned for that. We talk about Darren's return to Redfern, a brief stint at the Western Suburbs Magpies, and then, of course, his time at the Penrith Panthers, playing alongside some all-time greats in Brad Fittler, Greg Alexander, just to name a few, Craig Gower as well, a couple of other guys there as well, obviously being coached by Roycey Simmons as well. Pretty special time to be the Penrith Panthers just after their really special era of the early 90s there. Then, of course, Darren, he goes over to play for Salford over in the English Super League, so he talks about his time over there. Some of the guys that he played alongside, he was also lucky enough to captain Salford, and he's still regarded as one of their greatest players, from what I've gathered. Uh, he played alongside a guy that I had on the podcast earlier last year, Martin Afire. You will remember him, freakish try scorer. A couple of great stories that Darren shares in part two, dropping Thursday morning, and he answers a number of your questions. Stay tuned. Thursday morning, part two with Darren Brown. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.